Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. Hello. Hello. Are we ready? Born ready. I was born ready. All right, so quarter after 11, I got 45 minutes. And I'm going to give you probably 10. No, it'll be, it'll be longer than that, but let's see. Went to the eye doctor this week. Yeah. You know, time flies when you're having fun because the doctor says, you know, really, you should be in here uh, every year. And I was like, yeah, I know that. He says, so it's been three and a half years. And I was like, well, time flies when you're having fun. You know, it's like, so he's like, no, seriously, you need to. I'm like, I, I'm well aware. I said, how are my eyes? He says, oh, they're fine. (laughs) But I want you in here every year because of diabetes and stuff. And I was like, well, has there been any change? I got a ring going on. Um, Is there any change in my eyes? He says, well... Being the man of the age that you are, there's been a little bit of change, but they're healthy, they're good, there's no degradation. And I'm like, okay, good. He says, so see you next year. I'm like, well, you know, maybe. So and he says to me, he says, are you still active with the church? And I said, yes, yeah. He says, do you speak and teach every Sunday? I'm like, well, mostly, yes. He says, would well, you find yourself taking the glasses and putting them on all the time? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's normal. He says, well, no, that's not normal. He says, you need transition lenses. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, are those like bifocal things? Well, it's all kind of, you know. He says, you'll be able to look down and see. And, and I was like, oh, okay. What's that? You never see my toes again. <laughs> so they do the drill, right? They get out, you get out, they tell you you're great, they give you a prescription. And he says, now you go to see, you know, I forget her name, Sherry or Jerry or whatever her name was. And she's going to help you through the process. And I was like, okay, great. I sat down, and then she starts selling me these glasses. And I felt like I was in a timeshare situation where I couldn't say no. And I was like, there's no way out. And I was like, and so she's like, okay, so the lenses, he's, these are the good lenses, and these are $450. And then you're going to go into the mid-sized lenses, and these are 650 But these are the top lenses, and this is why that they're great, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the lenses are $950. And I was like, 950 bucks. She says, well, yes. And she says, and then we'll sell you some frames. Here's our designer frame. I'm like, oh, heck no. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to have to um, talk to my wife about this, and I will get back to you. And so I go up to pay. And then the funny thing is like, we have coverage and stuff, and it's been three years, so it shouldn't have paid anything. She says, that'll be $3. I said, $3? She says, yeah, that's the portion that you still have to pay. I said, $3, really? She says, yes. I said, okay. Pulled out my debit card. Here's $3. I'm like, wow. Everybody's got to get their last 50 cents out of you. So I got my prescription, went on to clearly.ca, and Deanne found some amazing deals. Like I, I think it cost me $79 for four pair of glasses. And I didn't, I didn't get transitioned. I'm like, oh, heck no. I'd rather take them on and off. Still got a good ring going on. I don't know where that's coming from. but um, So, yeah, that's my opening story, so it's kind of fun. But uh, 
I, have, I no longer have to squint. Well, these aren't new, but anyway. All right. I know. Sorry, I'm rambling. I'm, I'm drugged up right now. So I've got some, some good drugs going through me. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Mark 7. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay, because Nelson is going to get some, some stuff going on here. Um, and we're just going to read this morning. I just, I just felt that the Lord gave me this chapter, and there's some, some truths in this, in this chapter that I think we need to highlight. And he wants us to um, just kind of walk away with some truths this morning. So I'm just going to read. And as things are highlighted to me, we're just going to discuss them. So Mark 7, verse 1, it says, One day, those known as the Pharisees and certain religious scholars came from Jerusalem, and they gathered around Jesus. They were shocked to find that some of Jesus' disciples ate bread without first observing the prescribed Jewish ritual of hand-washing before their meal. For the Pharisees, like all the other Jews, will not eat without first performing a ritual of pouring water over their cupped hands to keep the tradition of the elders. Similarly, when returning from the marketplace, they ceremonially will wash themselves before eating. They also, obs- they also observe many other traditions, such as ceremonially washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the religious scholars asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the age-old traditions passed down by our elders? They should first ceremonially ceremonially wash their hands before eating. Jesus replied, this is good. You are frauds and hypocrites. How accurately did Isaiah prophesy about you phonies when he said, these people honor me with their words while their hearts run far from me? Their worship is not, nothing more than a charade, for they continue, they continue to insist that their man-made traditions are equal to the instructions of God. You abandon God's commandments just to keep men's rituals, such as ceremonially washing utensils, cups, and other things. Then he added, how skillful you've become in rejecting God's law in order to maintain your man-made set of rules. For example, Moses taught us, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever insults or mistreats his father or mother must be put to death. But you, you, your made-up rules allow a person to say to his parents, I've decided to take the support that you were counting on from me and, and make it my holy offering to God, and that will be your blessing instead. How convenient. The rules you teach exempt them provide, from providing for his aged parents. Do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others, making up these rules that nullify God's word, and you're doing many other things like that? Let's just stop there and discuss that. How often have we done things and they've become a tradition in our lives that we don't understand where that came from? And then when we're confronted with those traditions, we go, well, that's just what we do. You know what I mean? For example, I remember as a kid, I grew up in a quasi-Christian home. I was 10 when I became a Christian. So, um, you know, I had 10 years of being a pagan. 
and then 10, for the rest of the, my, my life has been a Christian. And um, my dad was very religious and very legalistic. And so we would sit down and, and um, you know, you, you pray. You, you, you have to pray. You, you bless the meal or you, you give thanks for the meal. And we would get punished if we actually started eating the meal before the prayer. It wasn't the attitude wasn't, well, we're going to wait till everybody's at the, at the table. The attitude wasn't, let's just hold off and discipline yourself just to, you know, self-control, teach you self-control. And it's polite to wait till everybody's at the table or the mom sits down. Like, it's, that's just, you know, again, but that's a tradition. But as soon as you started and you didn't pray, all of a sudden just something happened and you were, you were punished because you didn't pray. And I was like, oh, okay. So then all of a sudden, it's ingrained in you that if you don't pray before a meal, you're punished. Then it's ingrained in you that if you don't pray before the meal, that God is actually angry that you didn't pray. Well, where did we get the tradition of having to say grace before a meal? It's not a biblical concept, but it was a tradition handed down in the last, sometime in the last 2,000 years, that that's what you do. Now, am I against that? Absolutely not, right? There's thankfulness, like we sit down to a meal and and you're thankful. Do we have to bless the meal as if it's something wrong with the meal, then it's going to be all of a sudden corrected? You know, I I create a bad supper and I know that it's bad. And if we pray for it, um, what's just, you know, everything is going to be right and it's going to be awesome. Some some days I hope that that's the case. Let's, guys, we need to pray for this because I know what I did wrong and it's, you know. But we get into our religious traditions that we don't understand where they came from and we demand others to do the same. For example... I'm going to use praying before a meal because it's an easy one. You know, we're in a restaurant. And how many times do we make a point of praying before the meal to the point of embarrassing others around us? Right? And is that a good testimony? Now, it may be necessary. It may be a good time to do that because God's up to something. And maybe, maybe somebody needs to see that. Uh, and again, the, it's not a criticism, but it's simply us getting to the point where we're asking ourselves and asking the Father, why do I do this? Why am I doing this? And Jesus was very clear as far as like, you know, you're so worried about washing your hands and doing the right thing but that you're missing the heart of the matter. You're missing the fact that, um, like when he said earlier on, the, the Pharisees were shocked to find that they weren't, they were eating the bread without doing the, the ritual. And the ritual was actually not part of the Mosaic Covenant. Those, those, those laws and those things, those rituals were not part of even the, the laws. They were set up years afterwards as a, as, a, as a means to show piety. And Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. He says, it's not a matter of, of you eating without washing. It's your heart. And that's something that we have to even today Thousand, 2,000 years after, you know, Mark recorded this, that we have to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? And is it, is it necessary? 
Do we, do we go into, you know, our family times and do we pray? Yes, there's, like, we do at home. It's, it's funny at home, we'll sit around the table, and when we have our students come for the first time, we always hold hands. Why do we hold hands? It's fun. It's just that point of connection. And to see the, the, the student who oftentimes have no clue what we're doing, will kind of take our hands and there'll be this awkward... And then a couple of months in, they're like, yeah, we sit down and their hands go out. And it's like, this is connection. There's something good about this. We had a student last weekend, just he was doing some respite. And um, uh, it, was, it was him and then our student on the back bench and then the rest of us were on the table and we grab hands and Joseph grabs his hand and, and he looks and I could tell he was like, I've never held another boy's hand before. And so it was like, Awkward. I laughed. It was awesome. But there's also times that we gather around the table and we're so busy and we're just, there's three or four of us and we don't pray. Oh no. Is something going to happen? Is God going to curse a meal? Is God going to cause us to stumble and fall because we don't? No. He's going to strike us down. Strike out, smite you people. He doesn't because our hearts, we go, into, we go into situations and we're actually understanding that we actually are walking in his presence wherever we go. We carry him wherever we go. You know, the Holy Spirit is in us, he's on us, and we interact. Whether we pray or wash our hands or do whatever the ritual says that we do, understanding that in that situation, it's necessary for what we are in that, sorry, what we do. And that comes from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That comes from understanding his will. See, Jesus was getting to the Pharisees' hearts because they wanted the, the law. They wanted the legalistic, the rituals, the, the things that they added to it. And I think I, 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 and I said this a few weeks ago, um, you know, there was the, the laws of Moses were about 143, give or take, and then by the time Jesus showed up, there were 625 laws and requirements set up for everything. And, and, Mo, and Jesus is like, no. This is like, no. We're going to boil this down. What is the greatest commandment? And they said, there's two. He says, you spoke right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you've spoken well but I'm going to give you one now that's going to wipe out those other two. Here's the new commandment. Love each other like I've loved you. So out of that negates everything else. Unless he says, wash your hands. <laughs> Unless he says, don't break the love, don't break love by doing this. So it doesn't, it doesn't, and I'm not saying that the 600, and, I think it's 13, 613 laws are not necessary. But what I'm saying is that we have to look at the one because that's the new covenant. And that's what Jesus was getting at. And then he says, um, uh, and he goes on. Verse 14, it says, Then Jesus called the crowd together again, saying, Hear my words, all of you. And take them to heart. What truly contaminates a person is not what he puts into his body, but what comes out. That's what make a, makes a person defiled. 
So Jesus is getting gross. Because <laughs> he's speaking literally. He's speaking, you eat, you poop. What he's saying. When Jesus went back home away from the crowd, his disciples acknowledged that they didn't understand the meaning of the parable, and they asked him to explain it. He answered them, are you dull? Are you as dull as the rest? Just, you know, sometimes you can just pick up Jesus's frustration. You know, we live in such a snowflake society today that we can't handle criticisms or strong language or, or anything. It's like we've, we've raised a generation of snowflakes that, that can't handle this. And yet Jesus right here is actually going, are you stupid? <laughs> are you being stupid? Like, you, come on, you guys. You've hung out with me so long that let's get real, right? That's, and he still loved them. It wasn't that he didn't love them. He was just like, what else do I got to tell you? Don't you understand that you are not defiled by what you eat? For the food you swallow doesn't enter your heart, but it goes to your stomach only to pass out into the sewer. This means all foods are clean. Isn't it interesting? Yay, bacon. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, you know, oftentimes we refer to Peter's vision in Acts about the the veil and and the towel or the sheet coming down and all these foods. And the Lord says to him in the vision, take from this and pluck it and eat it. And he goes, Lord, I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to eat this. And he's like, no, I've created everything for good. You know, years before Jesus actually said this and Peter think forgot. How often or how important is it for us to actually continue to remember and to read and to know what Jesus said? Because honestly, when I read this, I didn't know that he had said that. I, it had never stood out to me. But Jesus was actually justifying everything. All food, whether you, what you had, is now deemed clean. And if it's not clean, <laughs> what happens when we eat something that's bad? It makes, us way, it makes its way out. That means all foods. He added, words and deeds pollute a person, not food. Evil originates from the inside of a person coming out of a human heart. Coming out of a human heart are evil schemes. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, recklessness. All these corrupt things emerge from within and, are co- and constantly pollute a person. So he's saying, like, these things are going to come at you. These, these, these attitudes, these things are, going to, are in you. They're going to come out. They're going to, they're, going to res- in, um, they're going to restrict you. But there's a way to be clean. It's like you let them out. You, let, you, live, in the scent, you live in the moment of in his presence. And that's why Paul later on says you are transformed. You're becoming a new man, a new woman. You, 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 you choose Christ as, your, as the one that you are going to follow, the one that you are going to serve, the one that you say, I, you are Lord, you are Savior of my life. And all of a sudden, there's a spiritual transformation that moves you from sinner to saint so that these things may come at you, but they're not who you are. And that's something that we've got to get. It's something that I hear a lot of us, in different circles that I run, it's like, well, I'm still a, uh, I'm a sinner. Like, that's, that, I said, well, you need to get saved then. And these are other pastors that I talk to. But if you're still a sinner, then you need to get saved. And they get all offended and twitch, twitchy. And I'm like, no, it's true. It's like, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. 
You have been saved. You have been transformed by the renewing of your mind and the renewing of your spirit. And so, yeah, all, you know, um, coming out of the human heart are these evil schemes and everything that Jesus said. All these corrupt things emerge from within and constantly pollute a person. But there's freedom in that. That's what he was getting at. He was like, your, your rituals, you, you think your rituals are going to save you. You think your, the things that you do because of the elders have said are going to change you. Well, they're not because you're just doing them out of a rote. It's the heart matter. It's the, it's the relationship with the Father. It's the relationship with the Holy Spirit moving in you and changing you. Does that make sense? Jesus set out from there to go to a non-Jewish, to the non-Jewish region of Tyre. He intended to slip into a house unnoticed, but people found out that he was there. When a woman whose daughter had a demon spirit heard that he was there, she came and threw herself down at his feet. She was not Jewish, but a foreigner born in a part of Syria known as Phoenicia. She begged him repeatedly to cast the demon out of her daughter. Finally, he said to her, First, let my children be fed and satisfied, for it isn't fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. <coughs> so Jesus is basically offending her right there, calling her a dog. Like it's, 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 it's like, the, I'm feeding my kids. Why would I throw it to dogs? And she's like, well, how true that is, Lord. But even puppies under the family table are allowed to eat the little children's crumbs. And Jesus was pricked. His heart was like, wow. And he said to her, that's a good reply. Now, because of this, you may go. The demon has permanently left your daughter. And when she returned home, she found her daughter resting quietly on the couch, completely set free of the demon. That's a good story. <laughs> It's like our faith, our, our, our understanding of his goodness sometimes doesn't come easily to us. Our delivery, our, our deliverance, our, our breakthrough, that's, that's a better word. Our breakthrough doesn't come simply by us saying, Lord, I need a million dollars. Or let's even more practically, Lord, I have a bill. I have a, a mortgage payment that I, I'm short on, like, I need this. How often does the Lord actually say to, his, say to him, well, say to us, well, you're in this uh, spot you've created. What are you going to do? How often is, I mean, I'm seriously, how often is, have we taken something to the Lord and we're like, I need this. And he's like, you, you've dug your own hole here. What are you going to do to get out? I don't know. That's why I'm coming to you. And he says, thank you, that's good. And here's your provision. Oftentimes, as the kids have grown up, they've asked me for stuff. Or, they've, or they'll say, Dad, I've got a problem. And it'd be really easy for me to solve their problem. But what actual discipline says is, I want to help you solve your problem. And I think that's what he does. And that's what he's getting here to this lady. You know, she, she came with a valid, a valid problem. Like my daughter is possessed. He's like, it's not, how is this my problem? I'm called, 
It'd be like me saying, I'm called a house of hope. I'm, I'm called to serve you people. And, and somebody from, I don't know, let's just pick a church, comes in and said, we have, we have this happening. This, we need help. And I'm like, I'm sorry, no, I'm called to. These are my people. And then they challenge that. They challenge me and they say, but if you call yourself a Christian or if you're a leader in this town, I need blah, 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 whatever. I would be compelled to help. But I wanted them to realize that it's not just you, but it's them. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like we have to, we, we can't get offended by the Lord's response. Because sometimes the Lord says no. Years ago, somebody called me and they said, I need you to pray for something for me. I said, oh, sure, what is it? I need to know whether or not I should go to this city and do this thing. And I was like, well, why are you, I'm being vague. So um, why, why do you need me to tell you whether you need this or not? And they're like, well, I just need to know if it's the Lord's will. I'm like, well, do you want to go? Yes. Do you have the money to go? No. How would you get there? Well, I would have to put it on my credit card. So I just, I, I, I need to, I just need to, can you pray for wisdom for me? I'm like, well, just don't be foolish. If you're praying for wisdom, that means your decision that you're pending is going to be foolish. So don't do that. The father says, don't be foolish. Well, no, you misunderstood me. I'm like, no, 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 I don't misunderstood you. First of all, you're asking me to ask the Lord on your behalf when you can actually do that. You can actually ask the Lord. But you're not, you know what his answer is going to be, so you're asking me, and then if I give you the wrong answer, you can blame me for that answer. And she's like, why did I even call you? I said, because I'm here to teach you. (laughs) She says, well, can you please ask the Lord anyway? I'm like, sure. The answer is no. She goes, really? Did he really say that? I said, yes. You asked me. I just asked him. And he said, no. Well, why would he say no? I said, ask him. (laughs) She never called me back. I don't understand why. (coughs) Excuse me. But sometimes when when we actually ask the Lord for something, the answer is no. And we have to be okay with that. Because we, we have to understand that he has our best interests at heart. And it's okay for us to say, well, why no? Why no? And it's okay to ask that. Because there's no question that is um, off the table when it comes to the father. So I love being a dad. And as the kids get older, we can talk about things, even you know, as adults, that they wouldn't talk about when they were kids because it was just too much. But there's anything is on the table. I don't want to embarrass Maddie, but she, she comes to me and she talks to me about everything. Like there's nothing. And oftentimes I find myself going, okay, I'm going to answer that question (laughs) because it's just like, it is. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I would never have dreamed about speaking to my parents about this subject. And, it's, and, it, and I'm like, this is a picture of how the Father wants us to be with him. That there is nothing inappropriate. There is nothing that is wrong. There is nothing that we can't talk to him about. Because he's that good. And he's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our tantrums. He's not afraid of how we respond. 
But what he loves is when we respond in a way that, that, that says, you're ready. Just like this woman, he, she says, but Lord, even the dogs on the table get the crumbs. And I just, if, I, if I'm a dog, then I demand some crumbs. And he's like, wow. In other versions, he's like, wow, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. Your daughter's, she's free. <laughs> and it was just like that. It wasn't a laying hands and I have to go and I have to be there and I have to shout and I have to yell. He just simply said, wow, yeah, you know what? She's free. You may go. Because what did he say? That's a good reply. Now, because you said this, you may go. I can go. I've been dismissed. Gets home. Daughter's free. That's goodness. That's, that's amazing. Then after this, Jesus left the coastland of Tyre, came through Sid, Sidon, 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 and his way on his way to the Lake Galilee, over to the regions of Syria. Some people brought to him a deaf man with a severe speech impediment. They pleaded with Jesus to place his hands on him and heal him. So Jesus led him away from the crowd to a private spot. Then he stuck his fingers into the man's ears and placed some of his saliva on the man's tongue. Yum, yum. And he gazed into the heavens, sighed deeply, and spoke to the man's ears and tongue. And he said, a big long word in Aramaic, and it was. And he it basically he says, "Open up now." At once, the man's ears opened, and he could hear perfectly, and his tongue was untied, and he began to speak normally. What's that? <laughs> Jesus ordered everyone. To keep this miracle a secret, but the more he told them not to, the more the news spread. Isn't that typical? Shh, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> All of a sudden, yeah, the Cranbrook grapevine is alive and well. The people were absolutely beside themselves and astonished beyond measure, and they began to declare everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Why did Jesus have to take the, de the, the deaf, mute man aside, quietly, where there was no crowds? Any thoughts? I want to propose to you is because even though they brought him there thinking that he would be healed, they didn't believe. And their lack of, uh, their lack of belief, their lack of faith in what Jesus could or couldn't do would have actually hindered what Jesus would have been able to do. Just like when Jesus went to his, his own town and they said that his ability to do um, amazing things were diminished. It wasn't, they didn't say that he didn't do anything, but they were diminished because they were, they just, isn't this just Jesus? So here's Jesus in another part trying to get away from the crowds and they follow him and they're like, here, here's a deaf guy, do something with him. It's almost like, you can't, so try. And they're testing him. Now, what would have happened if he would have actually healed them, healed the man in their presence by doing what he did. The religious people would have freaked right out because there was bodily fluids involved. And that is against the laws of, of Moses. 
It was, it was against the, 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 the old covenant, covenant where there was actually, you know, you, anyway, you know. There was just, it just wasn't. But he took his fingers and put them in his ear and there's earwax. Ew. It's, it's unclean. And then how did he get his own saliva onto the guy's tongue? Not, Mark's not clear. And that's okay. Use your example. Yeah. Was it a holy kiss? I don't know. But if he would have done that in their presence, there would have been, like, I think it would have caused a huge uprising. But Jesus, in wisdom, because what? He grew with wisdom in, in wisdom. He grew in grace. Or sorry, what is that? He grew in wisdom with man and God. So he had some wisdom. He had heard God, took him aside, did the act, healed him in private, and then said, don't go tell anybody. Well, the fact that the guy can hear and the guy can talk is testimony enough. He didn't even have to say anything. But when he came out and said, hey, you guys, what's, what's shaking? And they're like, what happened to you? What? <laughs> and all of a sudden... Jesus was being labeled as, is there anything that he can't do? Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Oftentimes, our breakthrough is done in the quiet. Oftentimes, the things that we're contending for, we don't even know that this man actually wanted to be healed. Now, you would think, of course, he probably did. But his, everything changed for him that day. He was probably, he was probably, I'm, I'm just surmising, that he was probably somebody that would be a beggar because he couldn't hear, he couldn't speak, he couldn't necessarily add to society. Again, he may have. But typically, anyone in that culture who had any sort of impediment was treated as unclean. And so I'm just assuming that he was somebody that was not an active part of the culture. And it, they brought him almost as a, what's the word? They brought him to Jesus as a test. And he's like, why am I here? What am I doing? Who is this guy? He, he wouldn't necessarily have known about Jesus because he couldn't hear. And so all of a sudden he's there and Jesus, you know, come here. <laughs> and Jesus is like, do you want to hear? Huh? <laughs> Sticks his fingers and ears. Well, that's weird. Does his tongue thing. I can talk. I can hear. Because Jesus spoke it. He says, be opened up. And all of a sudden, everything was released. Can you imagine that guy? Can you imagine being the first, like, all of a sudden, be opened up. And the, the sound that was assailing him that he had no clue, the birds chirping, the wind blowing, Jesus talking, the everything. Have we ever thought about what it would be like to be in absolute silence and all of a sudden our senses are being assailed by sound? And then the fact that he could speak, that, that, that's just, that's amazing. So he comes back, and the crowds are cheering, and he's probably sitting there freaked right out. I'm just thinking how a normal human being would respond to something like that. Deanna and I were watching a show the other night, and, and uh, it was uh, a deaf person who had a co cochlear implant. 
and um, and she was she had it would work it was working and everything was fine and and she was depressed and she couldn't handle life and they're like what well we can tune the the implant up and then she says no it's not the implant it's I miss the silence I can't handle the noise and it was and I was like well I've never considered that before. And I'm not saying that this guy preferred the noise or preferred the, the, the silence. But we, we just don't get it sometimes. But Jesus was so good. Took him aside, healed him. And then we look at that and we go, okay, where is our breakthrough? Where are the things that we are contending for? Oftentimes, it's not at a conference up front in the, in the, in the crowd. It's in the one-on-one with Jesus in the quiet place, hanging out with him, enjoying his goodness, and all of a sudden we leave his presence. We don't really leave his presence, but you know what I mean. We walk out and the world has changed because something has happened in his presence that we didn't even necessarily ask for because he's that good. And so... What are we going after? What, are, what is it? Is it a healing? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it this? Is it that? Is it what are, we, what, are we, what are we calling out to Jesus for? Jesus, my daughter is demonized. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Can we just get together and just hang out? And the older I get, the more, and, and the more things that I do, I realize that it's not about doing it's about being with him in, in, the, in the holy place. And the holy place, it's not a big religious thing. It's not a tradition. It's not a ritual. It's just simply being in your car and going, yo, Jesus, what's up? It can be that simple. Someone said to me the other day, and I'm just being real with you. I'm not saying this as a um, mark of pride or whatever. But they said, you spend a lot of time in the holy place. You spend a lot of time with Jesus in the quiet place. And I'm thinking, I do? I don't feel like I do. I feel like I spend more time on YouTube and Netflix than I do in his presence. And that's not what I said to the person saying this. I'm just like, okay, it was, there was a prophetic time. And I was just listening to this. And they said, the fact that, the, the fact that you... It's evident on your life that you know what the holy place is. And, I, and, I, and afterwards, they get, we get off the call, and, and, and I'm like, Jesus, what, like, what does that look like? Because I feel like I don't. I feel like I don't measure up at times. I feel like I don't, I'm not doing what I should be doing as a son and as a leader. I don't spend the time, you know, I don't read my Bible nearly as much as I think I should. I don't spend the time in, the, in your presence like I think I should. And I'm driving, I'm thinking, I'm driving. And Jesus says to me, or the Holy Spirit says to me, he says, you're doing it now. I'm like, what? Well, we're talking, we're conversing. You're telling me your heart. We're in the, you're in the, in the, you're in the quiet place now. And, and before you yell at that other driver, just know you need to probably break. <laughs> 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 but it's, seriously, it's, it's, it's the times, and this sounds just too easy. The other day, I, I just, I was like, 
I think it was on, I don't know what day it was this week. I was like, I feel like I need, I need to create. I'm feeling creative today. And I made cinnamon buns. And they were darn good. But I created them. I, I, I came up with a recipe out of just, and it was like, and Jesus says, you were in the holy place. You were in the quiet place. You were in my presence. And you and I created. I was like, wow. And that was a promise that he gave him. Did I ever tell you the story about, you know, we have the time of the, of the quiet place, and I, and I had this picture of us being in a garden, and it was, it was from camp last year. And the Lord says, I have something better for you, because I, you know, the, the, when you're getting into the holy place, or the quiet place, or your, your intimate place with Jesus, um, often it's a garden. I don't know why it's a garden. The Lord says, come with me. I want to take you into another place. This is, this is for you and I. And I was like, oh, okay. And I walk into this room, and it's a kitchen. Do you remember that? Yeah. Remember I told you this? It was a kitchen. It was, a, it was the most fabulous kitchen that I have ever seen. It had marble countertops. It had sinks everywhere. There was multiple ovens and gas rings. It just tools, knives, everything. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking around like a kid in a candy store. And Jesus says to me, he says, so what are, you, what are we going to make today? And, and I was like, ah, wow. And as he says, any time you want to be together, we can go to the garden, or you can come into your, this is yours, and you can create. And after I made these <laughs> stupid little cinnamon buns, the Lord reminded me of that. And he's like, that was good. And I'm like, yeah, they were. And they were totally decadent. They were just, they were, they were good. But it was a creative, it was just, he says, that's where you are in the secret place. It's not getting down, opening up your Bible and having to read it. That's the ritual. That's what we've been taught to do, that in order for you to hang out with God and, and be holy and be you have to read this. Now, do you need to read this? Yes. I'm not saying you don't. We need to know. We need to know the word. But if we start feeling like we're not doing enough, we need to ask him, what are you saying? And that's what he was getting at through this entire chapter about you know getting on the guy's butts about, oh, just because I didn't wash my hands, is that going to send me, send me to hell? Jesus is like, no, check your hearts. Know that you're actually getting more from Jesus every day, doing your daily, everyday things. You're getting more from him than you realize. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in that, doing the work that God's called you to do, doing the things, meeting with people. I love Richard because we go out, try to go out weekly, and he, you know, for lunch. And it's just his way of, of encouraging. And we don't quite get it every week, but two out of the four weeks out of a month usually. But he doesn't just do that with me. He does that with others because that's what God has called him to do, just to encourage. And, and he's getting, there's something in that, right? There's something that in that when Miffy comes and she contact, has contact with patients and, and, and bureaucracy and stuff. She's carrying the Holy Spirit into situations that the Holy Spirit wouldn't necessarily be in in that if she wasn't there. There's huge, huge benefit 
for us to understand wherever we are as Christians, the Holy Spirit is actually there changing atmospheres. And that's when breakthrough comes. Make sense? So let's stand. So, Father, we thank you. Your presence is amazing. Whether it's in a kitchen, in a garden, in our cars, walking in the woods, doing whatever you've called us to do, we know that we're receiving from you. We just have to listen. And, Lord, if there's things in our lives that are rituals, Lord, I pray that you would actually speak to us right now what those rituals are and challenge us with the who told you that question. Who told you you had to do that? And Father, I pray that every person in this room would actually walk with a newfound freedom that they don't have to do something because it's been taught to them that this is what you do if you're a good Christian. But there's freedom to do or do not. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. Amen? All right, Linda, come on up, and you have a ministry team, so let's get the ministry team up. And if you want prayer this morning, come on up. Get some prayer, get filled, get healed, get delivered, get saved, whatever you need. Maybe there's a few of you that go, oh, man, am I really saved? Anyway, I'm going to turn off now and turn it over. So come on up, and uh, bless you guys. To our sermon of the week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of His presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.